Well, everyone, welcome back to another Sporting Blog podcast. Um, it's Wednesday, the 24th of June. The longest day of the year has gone. So um, it kind of, in theory, starts getting darker now every day. And um, Ollie, stop! Look, the I'm sun sorry. is bursting outside. It's glorious. Well, I'm not having that. No, 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 no. We're, we're on to a really good run of weather here. This is going to be a good summer. As you can see, I have the uh, <laughs> very enthusiastic Immy Barkley with me today. And <laughs> Hi. <laughs> absolutely right. It's 29 degrees. Um, people are melting in the high streets as they make their way back to the shops for the first time, but they're desperate to get ice cream and it's fantastic. So, um, Immy, hi. Hello. How are you today? What's going on in your sunny world? How have you been doing before we get into everything? Um, how does 29 degrees look for you? Is it comfortable or is it tricky? Yeah, loving it. I love the tropical weather. So I'm going to embrace this hot city. No problems at all. Um, so just for our, our regular and irregular listeners, you are based in London. So um, and you have been let's get this bit out of the way because everyone's been going through it. How has lockdown been for you in London? Yeah, lockdown life, um, very unique, but I think London has been good at just getting with the program and being careful with each other. Um, I live a freelance life anyway, so I haven't had much routine throughout my career as it is. I haven't been working in an office, so the working from home thing hasn't been that novel for me. And really just pleased that family and friends I know have kept safe and managed to kind of sail through this okay. Um, and I'm looking forward to everything opening up bit by bit, like everybody is probably. Yeah, I um, I feel you a bit with the working at home. I don't think it's, uh, I mean, we, we do have an office and stuff, but with uh, the way the flexible working culture has um, has kind of grown legs over the last few, few years, it hasn't been as disruptive for me. I think um, quite a few people who live in sort of smaller spaces in town and in areas where there, you know, maybe there's nowhere to break out to, have had a tougher lockdown than others. Us out here in the in the countryside have had it pretty easy, I guess, in comparison. Well, there you go. I want to keep in those green fields, but you know, the biggest one for us in sport is that the events have stopped. So, you know, I'm looking at athletes who kind of aren't working, um, doing professional competitions anymore and fellow presenters who aren't either. So there's some kind of reassurance that we're all in the same boat together, really. Yeah. So um, we'll do a little intro for our, our, our listeners. Um, Imi is a TV and live events presenter, uh, mainly in sport. It would be fair to suggest that you have done other mm -hmm. things. Um, you've done an awful lot of sports actually, which is which is great. And um, and stuff from MotoGP through to golf and interviewing cricketers, and it's been extremely varied. Why don't you just give us the the kind of elevator pitch on on how you found yourself in this life? Yeah, sure. Okay, so we're getting in the ground floor of the elevator. <laughs> what floor yeah. are we going to? Because that's the amount of time I'll have. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, well, you're right. I'm a sports presenter and I am working across a lot of different sports. I started with the MotoGP working with Red Bull on their Rookies Cup team, which is their young talent team. And I stuck with that for four seasons. And through working with Red Bull and being in the motorsport world, I started working also doing corporate gigs, as it were, with Mercedes and with Yamaha doing live events. 
Um, and then golf came into my life because it's sort of a family sport anyway. And I was doing some work with the Laureus World Sports Awards and they host the Dunhill Lakes in St. Andrews every year. So I started working on golf through that and also with Sky Sports doing the Europro Tour for a season. And this just meant that I was opening myself up to all the other areas. It didn't just have to be motorsport anymore, so much so that I even did drone racing with DHL. Um, cool. And that was the really cool stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, it was linked to a production company that were doing Formula E, who I had worked with because of the motorsport link. So everything just became this massive spider diagram. And uh, I was interested in getting in the mix with all of it. So I said, yes. Fantastic. We, um, we spoke a, a couple of weeks ago um, about all sorts of things in general. And one of the things that we brought up um, on the phone was um, we, I was interested that you're one of the, well, actually you sort of pointed out, you're one of the rare um, people, uh, women working in sport, who's not either an ex-athlete or a current athlete or, or something like that. So when you kind of were working in motorsport, uh, you know, specifically because that's where you started, do people treat you differently because you're not kind of one of the group, as it were, you know, you're not an ex-driver or, you know, maybe you don't have any family connections to the sport. Do you find that it held you back in any way or was it just sort of part of the drill? No, I think the relief in that actually came from working with the young talent team. And my skills associated with Red Bull and the MotoGP was that I could talk to the teenage riders. You know, we've got teenage boys from 13 to 18 from all over the world um, who are shy. Some are really outgoing. Suddenly they're in media. They're at the MotoGP. They've got all this pressure from their family that they're putting on themselves as well and from Red Bull. And then they've got a camera in their face straight after doing a race, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and then you speak me. about a hundred different languages as well, don't you? Yeah, the languages have helped, you know, when, when they're sort of um, just finished their race and they're there ask, answering these questions live um, and their helmet's just off and there's beads of sweat everywhere, sometimes tears, and sometimes the boys will get stuck for, for the word. And if I can just nudge them along in some Spanish or Italian and get them back on track, that helps. But I think I sort of managed to be the new girl um, at the MotoGP because I was able to just be part of this young talent team and very much be a big sister for them. And I would always put my hand up and just say, I'm new here. I haven't been brought up in a racing family. What's that? Can you show me what this means? Oh my God, that's loud. Why is it making that noise particularly? You know, so if I could go in there being the inquisitive one and um, own the fact that I didn't know everything, I think that was the key and that helped me survive <laughs> the, well, the racetrack world <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds cool because you know essentially you're you're mirroring a percentage of your audience right because not every single person that's watching is going to be an expert and uh, although there will be some um it, it's good to kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of it just like anyone would be watching would be and uh, that's actually something that in general um in sport and tv uh different sports tend to do uh, you know, different degrees of successfully or not. And I, I find with, with motorsport, they're pretty good at appealing to the enthusiast, but also being reasonably informative to, to noobs, as it were. Um, did you find that when you were in MotoGP or was it very much focused on, you know, the people who are into the bikes? No, 100%, you're right on that, because actually the MotoGP have got a brilliant channel, and we had these screens playing all the time um, in our hospitality area, and they would do these amazing diagrams where they 
zoom in on the bike and then they break the bike apart with all this technology and they're showing you different aspects and bullet point explanations. So actually these channels, when they're just using filler time, they were really educational <laughs> for everyone, for the newbies and also the experts, because you're never going to know everything unless you are actually a rider. Even if you're an ex-rider, um, you're not going to be able to keep up to speed with everything that's happening in those particular current times that the professionals are out on that track that day. You might have a more slightly historical version of an experience. So unless you're a mechanic or a rider, I think that every audience has got the opportunity to pick up some new info and get to know their sport better. And yeah, MotoGP have been great at that. And Red Bull particularly great at encouraging new talent, not just across their athletes, but also across media, their media output as well, to have me in as my first job and recognize, okay, she's not an expert in motorsport, but we can now show how people can come over the wall. And if they've got the passion for it, then they'll thrive in this environment. And, and it worked out. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and something that in uh in my world in the racing world certainly uh the the channels and the broadcasters battle with on a daily basis the the blend of of appealing to a broader audience uh explaining how the sports work but without dumbing it down too much to the people that mm -hmm. want a bit of extra info and you know i i most of, of people listening probably won't remember going way back to the mid-2000s when cricket first went on Channel 4. They did a fantastic job of of explaining all sorts of things that, yeah, maybe you knew, maybe you didn't. You know, why does a ball swing? How does it spin? And all those things, they, they would take those those fillers five or yeah. ten minutes out and really get into the detail. And I think it was not only is it engaging and in, informative, but it's kind of a leveler for everyone watching because why wouldn't you be interested if you're watching it in the first place? Yeah. And sometimes, honestly, it could be a good um, interview icebreaker, actually, because if I'm talking to a young rider or, or anyone, really, they could be a professional adult, too. But if I then hand the baton over to them and I say openly, explain to us this part of the bike or explain that feeling when you're turning that corner and they realize, wow, she's not my dad. She's not my mechanic. She actually doesn't know everything. And I can almost stick my neck on the line for the sake of the rest of the audience that might then be able to get a kind of new insight because I'm asking a question that might have seemed a little bit more basic but actually opens the way into something more more intricate and gives you a different flavor of the athlete sometimes I yeah, think that's, um, that's very smart and is that the sort of thing that as a presenter is that you know just for people who may be interested in in getting into this sort of industry is that the sort of thing that you bring us the skill and you inform your potential client that's your style that's how you do it or do you take that from from the client who says i really want you to be you know inquisitive and, and you know pose the questions to the athletes or do you or is it something that you kind of invented if you like no i mean it really does depend on the tone of the job as well because i you know we're talking about rebel rookies it's lighthearted. it goes online there's a whole social media aspect it's teenage riders although it's attached to the very you know serious uh, and professional moto gp itself um there is a more playful way with it whereas if i'm going to be doing golf um like with sky for instance at the scottish open then I know I'm not going to stand there with Rory McIlroy and ask him to go basic with me. You know, <laughs> there I know I have yeah. to put on a different hat and I have to respect that scenario and that situation. And particularly in those when the guys have come off 18th, there's 
there's a whole range of media channels right there with their microphones picking up my question and the answer he's given to me but that everyone is now being able to record so you have to adjust the tone all the time and i think what i'm enjoying now that we're in lockdown and i'm looking at what else i can do since all sports events for me anyway are cancelled now um i am taking on that role looking at women in sport i'm taking on that mode of I'm going to be inquisitive. I'm going to stick my neck on the line purely because that has been my passion to show also how if you weren't brought up in a household of sport and the rugby and football hasn't been on all weekend because of your dad and your brother, there are ways to invite yourself in to this whole world. You're not excluded. We can all come in at some, some way you can get in. So your um, is referring to her IGTV series, uh, which is hashtagged as keep the ball rolling. Um, which you definitely check out. I watched a few and, um, well, wait a minute, why don't you tell us what it is in a nutshell rather than me try and praise the good work that you've been doing. Yeah, okay, sure. So Keep the Ball Rolling is um, my IGTV series that I'm doing throughout quarantine, looking at women in sport because I want to suss out the state of the game. I want to really understand the characters that make up um, women in sport, which seems like a, too much of a broad term almost given that there's so many disciplines, so many professionals, so many nuances in itself. Um, but I started with a female polo player called Rebecca Walters, and we have a conversation for about 30 minutes on IGTV Live. And I ask her the same set of 10 questions that I'm going to ask for each interview anyway. And at the end of each interview, um, I asked the, the polo player or whoever it is to nominate the next person that I should talk to because we've had a great discussion and then to explore more, she'll say, oh, you must speak to my colleague in polo. And in this case, it was Hazel Jackson Guyona, who's um, the world female number two in polo. Um, so the conversation carries on to Hazel, then Hazel sort of passes the ball onto a dressage rider and we're managing to just travel through this story of women in sport and get to know their characters. And after each interview I do, I, I put up a lot of stories where I point to what we spoke about. Maybe if you want to start polo, you can look at this site. If you want to follow Rebecca, she's supposed to play here next year. Potentially it's been postponed to. And, you know, we become attached to the players. It's just not just faceless athletes that we can see on a screen from miles away. They are they are women, they are ambitious, they've got stories and humor and drive. And so I want to bring that out in our chats each time. I think it's such a, it's such a great idea, not just because of the women in sport angle, but I love the way that the, that the thread starts, you know, with the first podcast and, you know, sorry, the first interview. And in theory, mm -hmm. um, there's a connection all the way back to the very first episode by virtue of the fact that the guests themselves suggest the next person. Yeah. And um, no. actually, look, it's, uh, it, it's really good. And um, how long do you think you're going to keep it going? Because, you know, it's the sort of thing that, uh, well, look, it's, it's doing really well. Looking at your Instagram, your, your feedback and comments, um, people are liking <laughs> it. Is it something you're going to keep going with? Yeah, 100%. I'd love to. I'd love just to keep the ball rolling. And then we can see what more we can grow from that. You know, maybe even a podcast would be a good format for this in case once everyone's busy and they're competing around the world, maybe it's the easiest thing if I just jump on the phone with them instead. Um, but we'll see what can happen with it. Um, I think I've learned 
over time also not to try and project too much into the future, but more seize the day and go, great, this is happening now, run with it. And just keep running until you have to jump over the bridge or go up the mountain or, <laughs> yeah, I'm off with the yeah, analogies uh, now, but you get the idea. I just want to just to that. Yeah, in a I moment think we're all, uh, we're all in that boat at the moment, very much day to day. What I was interested in also about the series is, I mean, you, I, I'm presuming because I haven't watched every production you've ever done, but I'm going to hazard a guess that in the majority, the people you were working with sport-wise, as in the, the athletes, were, were predominantly male. Would that be correct? Yes, yes, that's so true. Have you, have you picked up anything from, from Keep the Ball Rolling about anything that these, either these women have in common or is there something that, you know, you've sensed is in all athletes, you know, in, not based on your experience? Mm, I think there is this single-minded attitude to the sport of dedication and pure focus. And that's matched with this belief that, yeah, I can do it. I am able to win. I'm in this to win it. There's, that's what I've noticed has been the same. But I think with these um, IGTVs, I was very wary looking at women in sport, not to make it a whinge. I didn't really want us to start talking about lack of funding, not enough sponsorship. We don't get as much media portrayal. The, the concept is, and the attitude that I want to project with this and to share with these women is, we're having a great time. It's almost like we're having a great party. It's awesome. It's awesome. Join us. Don't join us. I'm not going to tell you we're at this party and we've run out of booze. You know, I want there to be a real feeling of it's happening. You're in it or you're not in it. Because that's just more, it's more invigorating. And I think it's actually more genuine around what, what they are about. They're already focused, driven. It is happening. I don't think we need this peripheral kind of intrusion of, oh, but we don't have funding. We kind of do know that anyway. It can go unsaid for a little while, but my focus had to be on showing the great party that's already happening. Yeah, it's really cool to be in the moment as well. And um, there's, there are you know, a handful, and I, and I would suggest at the moment, it's a handful of sports that are very good on the, the gender equality front. And, and funnily enough, most of the ones that involve a horse um, are, and you've <laughs> yeah. a couple already. But um, what I find, and you know, we have this in racing as well, is that there's a very delicate balance to between you know, hoisting up this story of look how good we are and pointing out the difference rather mm. than just celebrating the fact that you're doing it well. And mm. as you say, you don't want the conversation always to come full circle and say, well, these wonderful women are such incredible athletes and, and they've got great attitude and all the rest of it. But, you know, as, as you're right, is it, you know, running out of booze at the party is you know, the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, literally from experience. But um, it's, it's great that you've managed to. And I think that, that even the name, keep the ball rolling, you know, it, it makes you it makes you think, okay, let's keep this good vibe rather than getting people on there to to sort of really talk about the any negatives. And I think that's yeah. the vibe I've picked up from it is it's a positive thing. And also the people seem to really uh, enjoy being on there. Um, yeah. Which is cool. True. Yeah, it's really cool. I think it's but my other tagline for this, Ollie, is uh, to create a chain of females athletes championing each other and i think being part of that chain 
females championing each other, you know, the women in sport. I mean, it, it's all happening and I, I'm invigorated by it. And actually, it's a real silver lining for me that's come out of lockdown. The fact that all the events were wiped off the table and I'm sat here at my kitchen table with my iPhone wondering, right, how do I make something happen here? And going back to your first question and, and comment about me not being an ex-athlete, you know, that's been fine for me um, in certain areas. Sometimes they just need to have the ex-professional golfer. But with women in sport, this is a whole area that I can become an expert of sorts in, you know, if I can be across what's happening and across what funding is coming on, coming in or what initiatives there are, or what's going on with Team GB for women. Um, that's something I'm really excited to know more about, as well as keeping up with my more uh, general sport, I would say, and, and knowing what's going on in football with the boys. And I'll keep that side up too. But I'm really happy that I've been able to hone in on something like this with women in sport. Sure, and I don't think that um, to be a thought leader in a certain subject means you have to have lived that subject for every second of your life, you know. And, mm. and I think it's, it's almost, I think personally, and we made this reference the other day when we were chatting, I, I think that yeah. sometimes it's better for someone who's maybe out of the bubble. I played a lot of tennis when I was a kid, and you're so inside the bubble that, you sometimes can't see the wood for the trees about it. And, and it's funny when you take a step back or you get into another industry or sport or sector, you come at it also with a fresh pair of eyes. And mm. some of the questions you ask, you know, those ladies would not have been asked before in that manner. They'll be used to mm. being interviewed by the same people that ask the questions at every polo event, you know, basically leading questions to make group copy. And I think that it's something that, that you've done really well. And it would be great to see it continue and perhaps grow into something else. And I think that actually the really intriguing bit is knowing where the ball's going to roll next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you found it difficult? Has someone ever suggested someone and you've gone, oh, cripes, how am I going to... Uh, Am I going to get hold of them or are they really going to want to talk yeah. to me? Sort of well, yeah, sure. You know, I'm just teething through this as well um, and trying to keep the ball in the air, as it were. And I don't really mind if I have a lot of chains that have started and a lot of balls in the air because I want to have the conversations with these women. I'm passionate about this. And so if, for instance, someone gets nominated and they've decided they want to take the time for themselves, they're not doing media right now, absolutely respect that. And we'll just sort of divert and we'll talk to another woman and we'll start a new chain that way. But thanks to Instagram, you can talk to these athletes and show them what you're doing and explain what the tone is and what the questions are going to be. And I can give them all the information and then they can decide if they want to participate or not. And so far it's been really positive. So I'm happy about that. Okay. I'm just going to try and segue randomly kind of together. So just bear with me for a second on this. Um, we talked briefly about the fact that you weren't a, a, a sportswoman, as it were. Um, we've talked about how your IGTV series focuses on women in sport. I'm, interested in your opinion on the different media platforms we have and how effective they are at communicating certain messages and so on and so forth now i guess you would describe yourself as a presenter but not necessarily one that's only for broadcast television um, but all sorts of different media do you think that if, uh say instagram not wasn't around but if it maybe wasn't advanced as it was, do you think you would have been able to do something like keep the ball rolling? 
Oh no, I don't think so. Um, I've, I've come to the point where I can't imagine life without Instagram anymore. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't know. I mean, I guess you would have to go through the old way of putting up, putting together a, a plan and pitching it to someone like the BBC, or you, you would have to go through that very um, admin heavy route. Whereas this way I can just pick up my phone, kind of have a dabble and feel how it, how it looks and then adjust and do and change and, and I'm in the driver's seat with it. Without Instagram, I'm never in the driver's seat. You know, you're always handing something over to someone else to give you a yes or a no. Well, um, yeah, so it, it's, it. it's so interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people would refer to platforms like Instagram, Facebook and, and others as, you know, traditionally they refer to them as social media. And I think that we probably moved on to the fact that really they're, their content creation platforms and the people that are on them are desperate to consume more and more stuff every day. Mm. I don't know personally whether your audience would be, it might be bigger, it might be smaller if you didn't have IGTV. But what's interesting is you've got a, you've got a ready-made audience on the platform and they don't even know they want your content yet. And that's, yeah. what, <laughs> that's what's so fascinating about, about especially with sport, you know, what, what we have in, in, the, in the biggest of all the sports, football, like it's just unbelievable the amount of, of content that's consumed. And people don't really know day to day what they're looking for. They're just looking for something. Mm. And um, it, for me, it's just fascinating that um, you can come up with this idea, as you say, just from your phone uh, and come up with this. And, and the thing is, as you said, you know, especially when other work stopped. I mean, this mm. is not only helping keep yourself busy, but it's helping you add another string to the bow as well. Mm. But I also think we're lucky that Instagram has grown to what it is today because I, I don't feel any hesitation about throwing up content. You know, I think maybe if it was even two years ago, there might've been a, oh, the hallowed ground of Instagram. What are people going to think? Do I do this video or not? Whereas now we've all become so sophisticated with using it and we understand some of it's smoke of mirrors some of it is actually real news we we're more savvy around it so i feel like for those putting content out it's almost given us permission just to throw yourself in and play and and i'm happy that you know during this lockdown time for me anyway my attitude towards instagram has been great use it see what good can come out of just participating with it yeah and do you think that, um, you know, just in your experience and from the uh, different sports that you've worked with, do you think um, that all sports have really grasped new media and what to do with it? Or do you think some of them are a little bit like, well, we've got to do this, so let's just do it somehow? Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, now I've got all the sports whizzing around my head as I think about this. Um, I think, you know, with golf particularly, there's always been a sense of wanting to reach out to a younger audience. Um, but then in that case, the golf content is also trying to appeal to its more traditional older audience. So that one might be across two areas, really. I mean, golf, but then there are golf is, it also has this weird, well, it's not weird, it, but like a subgenre of like golf girls and <laughs> yeah. and fitness golf girls and the the engagement numbers are monstrous um and yeah, i mean there's some people that have made you know very good careers out of um you know looking good and 
and being able to hit a golf ball. So, you know, all power to them. Um, but yes, I think you're right, actually, in terms of the sort of big tournaments and getting into it, maybe they're not quite up there yet. And maybe it's all to do with audience profiling. Yeah, sure. But, you know, some channels are, are really steering the ship in a great way on that, particularly things like Scratch TV, Scratch yeah. Golf. Um, yeah. They're fun with it. They're creating off-the-wall content, but it's still engaging and it's still serious. And this also goes back to me not being an ex-athlete. You know, I still work hard. I'm, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at who's won. I'm making sure I've got the info in me because that makes me the presenter I am. It means that I can be vivacious. If I know my stuff, I have the luxury of being more open and ready to chat and I have no reservations around my knowledge. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes yeah. um, even if I'm going to ask a question that might seem basic or well, what does she mean she's asking about you know this eagle on that i can ask it because i know the answer and i also recognize that oh this is a good landing question for any new audience so i come i'm coming at it with a different kind of um mindset i don't know if i've made sense there but yeah i get you, you how is your golf do you are you playing yeah well you know i haven't been playing much have i recently it's not like i've been knocking balls down the pavement but <laughs> i am going to go and play golf tomorrow um, first time I'm playing around in a long time. So, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of picking up the ball. <laughs> yeah. You said that, um, you said the golf, um, was a bit of a family affair. So is that something you've played since you were younger or is it something that you've kind of been? No, no, it's just something that's been buzzing around with my family. You know, if, even if I go home to my parents' house now, you're going to be tripping over golf clubs in the hallway. So it's just something that I have much more familiarity with rather than, you know, initially when, do you know, this all started at a surf event. Didn't know much about surfing at the time, that's for sure. Wow, <laughs> I wasn't was exactly brought up around the ocean. <laughs> it was in Brazil. And I was in Rio and I'd been working, um, I'd been working at ITV News. And I went out in 2014 to Rio, I sort of took a, uh, a little break from ITV, which they were kind enough to offer me because they understood my plan was to go to Rio and to understand more about Brazil because we were about to have the World Cup there followed by the Olympics and what with me being mad about languages and other cultures and countries I felt like this was a huge gap in what I was about you know I, I like being the one that understands different languages and and what are Brazilians like and I had no clue so I went to Rio and I stayed for four months actually and I started making videos about everyday life. And this was before I did any presenting at all. I was doing videos for the fun of it. Yes, with an idea to make a show real of sorts. But being a presenter seemed too much of a big dream at the time. So I just kept it in a happy hobby space in my mind. Wow. Um, and, and after interviewing, I mean, everyone and anyone, I would interview the sandwich sellers on the beach, the guys making caipirinhas. And then I'd interview little girls who were on skateboards near a favela. Um, and I ended up at the World Surf League, which was happening in Baja de Chiduca. That was the one. And I interviewed Kelly Slater because <laughs> I wow, pretended like I was that. media. <laughs> uh, for those who are listening who don't know, that's a bit like kind of walking to your golf tournament and then just having to be plonked straight in front of Tiger Woods. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it was a hard interview to get because... I was there with, with all these surfers buzzing around. Um, I didn't recognize any of them because I was brand new. 
to the sport of surfing. I hadn't been exposed to it at all in my life before. And I could see this media area. And I just got it in my head that I wanted to be in there. You know, I was getting the buzz for the job. I had my camera. I had, um, I had a friend with me who was kindly filming and being very patient about that. And I just decided I want to get in there. But then that friend had to leave for work that day. So I was on my Todd. And I met a photographer who was all kitted up in, oh, I love those branded jackets. You know, I collect memorabilia from sports events. Anyway, he had all the branded jacket and a hat and all the wristbands and the lanyards around his neck and his camera clicking away. And I said, hi, I've got a challenge. <laughs> I'm trying to get in that media den. Any ideas how we could do it? So he gave me his sunglasses, his hat. I put my hair up in a bun and he gave me some of his equipment and we walked in together very <laughs> confidently. And by the way, he had to disguise me because I'd already tried four different entrances and I'd been sent away. So, you know, the security men knew who I was. <laughs> they were so like, this You're is not a proper disguise. I love this. <laughs> so I did a disguise and then I ended up in this in this exclusive media area, as it were, and I didn't leave, you know, and this is still 9am in the morning, and I didn't leave to get a drink, I didn't want to leave to get lunch, and I couldn't leave just in case I could never get back in again, and at the end of the day, at around 5pm, Kelly Slater comes in, and I've got my head down, and I'm looking at the floor, and I see these bare feet, and then they go, oh, oh right, you're up, you're first, you're up, they don't know my name, obviously, they just poke me, and they say, you're up, and I have this microphone, and I've, I've sort of made friends with uh, a journalist also, and he's, he's now kindly holding the camera for me, and I interview Kelly Slater, <laughs> and that went on my showreel, <laughs> so when I came back to London, you know, I had some some more meat to this showreel. It wasn't just about the favela skater girls and the sandwich sellers anymore. It was definitely got this, um, well, legend of sport on yeah. it. Yeah, no, this um, is, uh, it, it, you know, it just ties in with the, the principle and, and it shows how many are, how people have, have made successful careers from going out there and, and creating their own content and uh, having this sort of, you know, no limit attitude really. Um, mm. you know, uh, and I think this is what a, a lot of traditional people who work in, in sports broadcast maybe struggle with a bit to, to, to think that, you know, well, I earned my dues, I did this, I did that. And rather than, you know, there are people that just have a knack for, for finding a story or bringing something interesting to the table. And if someone wants to watch or read it, then, you know, that's it. And obviously, um, after your uh, your criminal activities <laughs> into interview Kelly Slater, someone saw that talent in you and moved you on. So actually, that's interesting. Um, we've got a bit of a background with surfing here as well, but that's for another day. How, um, I mean, how did you, or rather, how have you f found the different sports in that kind of relationship with, with the media. I mean, something like surfing is generally inclusive, but as you say, there's a lot of attention and a lot of people want to talk to these big names. Um, I guess the, the Red Bull rookies was a little different, um, but do you find that all sports treat the kind of media duties with the same respect or, or are some sports better than others? 
Yeah, well, I think across all the sports events, there's a huge appreciation that we do need to get media done here because it's good for everybody. Um, so I think maybe the differences might just be given the schedule, maybe at the racetrack it would be because of the noise. I mean, sometimes it's very hard to record when you've got a race going on or there are bikes being tested right next to you. Um, but I don't really think that there's an abrupt attitude around no media yes media you know it's there is a friendliness and an approachability around it i think everyone also working in media at these events have learned the the language of it you know it's a bit like being on a film set you know when to be quiet you know when you can move it's it's just a way of being that you learn a behavior um so you, you press the right buttons and you don't press the red one <laughs> yeah sure um what has been your favorite event to work it's a hard question. You knew that was going to be a tough question, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I know. And everyone, you know, I think that, <laughs> that I, you know, it's the same as if someone says, oh, what's your best ever party or what's the best sporting event you go to? Like, I suppose it's the first memory that, that comes into your head. But I imagine there must have been one where either you got to speak to someone who yeah. is particularly enlightening or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, a sensational event for me, which was full of, you know, whoa, butterflies, adrenaline, I can't believe I'm doing this. It was for Yamaha and we were in Seville and it was uh, a live event in front of an audience of 3000 people. And I was on stage and I was, you know, I sometimes call it like the circus master of the evening because I've got to, I've got to go from dot to dot and keep the night going. And I'm the only one on stage with this microphone and a pack of cards in one hand. And my gosh, God forbid I would drop these cards because then I'd be lost. But um, <laughs> I was there and you know, you, you feel the, Ooh, the sense of occasion of an event like that. Um, and Valentino Rossi joined us on stage and it was wonderful because these were bike fans. I mean, they, they work in the motorsport business actually and they didn't know he was coming. And this, this absolute admiration that came towards us on the stage and to have Valentino Rossi, who's so charismatic and so professional in all areas of his life, it seems, because he was answering the questions for us. He was doing the photos nicely for the fans. And that was a wonderful moment for me, having come from Red Bull Rookies over the years now to be on stage with Yamaha, with Valentino Rossi. It was, it was you know, a beautiful moment for my own career um, personally. So that was a wonderful event for me. And then sports-wise, sports events, I really do enjoy the Dunhill Links in St. Andrews um, because it's with the pros and the amateurs. And I have a, a kind of video series I do for them there called Buggy Chat, which yeah. is where I pick up a player and it could be a pro, it could be one of the celebs. I pick them up from 18 or from the driving range. Basically they come on a ride with us wherever they need to go. And I just ask them off the cuff questions. I mean, these aren't planned. I sit, you know, I could sit there with Hugh Grant and I'll start it off, which I've seen only from looking back at the video, I'll say, nice hat, Hugh. And then he tells me it was a hat from his father. And then we just, we just have a friendly, happy chat. Before you know it, they're getting dropped off. And this format works well for me because I like to have an easy conversation with these people. I like to not get nervous in my own self when I'm talking to them because I want to bring the best out of them. And I want us to be able to see the athletes um, in a different light where it's not after, after 18 and they're surrounded by media and they give us stock answers. I like to show 
the dimensions. Um, so I really love doing buggy chat at the Dunhill links too. Yeah, and you can check those out on YouTube. I've seen a few of those and it is relaxed. And I think that, you know, I wish that other sports could in some way emulate golf with the pro-am type of thing because it really does bring um, out the true character of the players. They're out of robot mode. Um, mm. you know, they're, I, I imagine they're much more interactive. And I think that, um, you know, occasionally tennis try and do it where there'll be a charity game and, you know, Federer and, and Nadal will face off with a couple of celebs and, and they'll be mic'd up. And it just, it just brings mm. your fan that little bit closer, especially to these kind of, you know, elite, elite players who, who seem to live on a different planet to the rest of us at times. Yeah. And actually speaking of tennis, because this week would have been the Aspal Tennis Classic at uh, the Hurlingham Club. Yeah. Which is like the precursor to Wimbledon. And I presented that last year for IMG. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. There is a loose survive. It's a kind of happy social. Um, the players know it. They know that the real deal starts at Wimbledon. And I interviewed Nadal there. And yes, it was an absolute joy for me. <laughs> but also it was a relief that we could be in that situation where it was, we knew the game that we were playing was to appeal to this audience that was there to enjoy the player it wasn't Wimbledon which I haven't worked at which I would love to you know this is one of my goals I'd love to work at that but I can imagine that if you were going to be interviewing at Wimbledon there is more of a sense of okay this is a global channel and one would be required to offer that much more I would don't want to say severe but you know serious tone that yeah, sure. can, can slightly perhaps limit the answers that you're going to get but at the same time, we do want professional expert conversation as well. So brings brings it back to what I was mentioning before about wearing different hats and how you just uh, maneuver yourself around each event. But this has also been where, where new media platforms have been great because, um, you know, Wimbledon's a great example. You've got a, a two-week tournament. Someone's got to win seven matches to win the thing. It goes over a long period of time, you know, the microphone in the face the minute you've come off the court is going to give mm. you one type of um, of interview but you know the morning after the instagram you know live or whatever type chat before mm. practice you're not playing again that day brings a totally different vibe and i think it's it's a it's a tough job for the for the people that kind of have the overarching uh, marketing strategy for these things to know how to get that balance because mm. you know it's it's all very well to see um, Djokovic winning every match all the way to the final and the story is just yes he's a very good tennis player but you kind of want to get a little mm -hmm. bit of the inside info over those two weeks as well. Yes and I hope over the years that we do see that across all sports across the men and women and you know who knows what's going to be in store for the Olympics perhaps they're going to there's going to be a whole load of new strategies where we can really get inside the sport. Well, um, yeah, and, they, and they need it, to be honest. I mean, uh, I love the Olympics because it's because of the sense of occasion. And let's hope it does go ahead next year after everything that's happened. But one thing I would say is that the amount of sports can make for this very jumpy experience. And, and you might get inside a little bit if you press the red button and, you know, you're watching the dressage or something. You might just get that interview to give you a bit more insight. Um, but I think that's something they could really, really push. I mean, I'm fascinated to know you know, the life of a fencer. And, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's to, those to me, like, uh, like I, I find because, you know, they, 
I know they mustn't pay as much as other professions uh, and professional sports. Mm. So I'm fascinated to know how it works. You know, the people who do the shooting, modern pentathlon, all those things. Um, and I feel that they, they get their couple of minutes of fame and then you jump onto the next sport. So I think you're right. That mm -hmm. will be something really, really positive. Yeah, and almost, I mean, not to bring it back to keep the ball rolling, but I learned so much talking to these women. Uh, last week, I interviewed Lucy Charles Barkley, who's a professional triathlete. She's come second in Ironman at Kona um, the last three years in a row. She is at the top of her game here. Um, wow. And not only has she got great humor, wonderful charisma, incredibly attractive she's got this dedication for a sport she's been in lockdown in her parents-in-law's garden area where they have built a shed barn conversion uh building and they put a gym in it and they were sleeping in their gym for the wow. first six weeks or so when we were in proper lockdown and her life is conditioning her body training every day being in her endless pool swimming um you know, you just wouldn't know something like that when you're watching Iron Man and you're, you, you know, you're watching the, the footage from the broadcaster. You, you wouldn't get this insight unless you're, you're able to see interviews or look at her Instagram in particular. She's got actually a really cool YouTube channel called Team Charles Barkley, which I watched a lot of before our interview together. And she even gives you tips on open water swimming. And, you know, you become part of this lifestyle of, of someone like Lucy. And my God, I'm a huge fan, you can tell. But I also got very inspired watching her because I thought, yes, I want my nieces and nephews to look up to women like her and women like I've been interviewing on this series because they're showing you what joy you can get from having focus and having the goals and, you know, still being girly, I suppose is a word that I really didn't want to use right there. But, you know, you don't have to fall into a stereotype of denying any femininity. You can still be their version of a female uh, and enjoy that and also commit to your sport. I think, unfortunately, Ollie, there's this sense of if you're a woman in sport, you know, for a crowd of people who have got closed minds, they come up with some odd stereotypes. And I'm thinking, where have you got that from? This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, there well, you I think, go. I think that same stereotype exists, um, sadly, outside of sport too sometimes. And I think that, mm. you know, for years yes. and years. And look, I think, um, you know, just dig digressing away from sport, I think that, that, that uh, Hollywood and other places like that didn't do uh, women any favours in the 80s and 90s in terms of women that were you know, in, in films and TV that were deemed powerful were always ball-breaking, miserable, aggressive, and <laughs> all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe that's what it needed at the time because the, because in, in truth, women probably had to be like that to, to make the difference. I mean, you look at something like The Devil Wears Prada and all of those sort of things, you've got this, like, scary humor. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of um, female athletes had this sort of, you know, Mart Martina Navratilova now is a great speaker and talker, but but all of the time she was at Wimbledon, you've got this kind of robotic, didn't smile much, you know, just a sort of obsessive character. And I, I think you're 100% right that, um, that now you can see actually these people live a different life. And it's not, you know, the, the, the single-mindedness doesn't have to mean you're a caricature of what a successful mm. female is. Yeah, I agree. So... Um, 
we'll start to wrap things up in a second, but let's, I just wanted to touch on, um, obviously things are still a bit weird with um, lockdown starting to ease and everyone keeping an eye on what's going on with live sport and what might be happening in the future. Pre-COVID, what were your plans for the latter part of this year and, you know, the early part of next? Did you, did you have some ambitions yeah. or things lined up that have just been yeah. completely pulled? Well, I did have a really exciting start to the year. Um, and I started it after a couple of other jobs. A highlight was working with Manchester United. Um, and I went up to their stadium to interview David De Gea in Spanish for some exclusive content that sits on their Manchester United TV channel. And that was a great step in the right direction for me because I got to use my languages. Yeah. I got to be in Premier League football um, and start, you know, it was the start of opening a door into the football world, which is ultimately where I would like to be able to sit. You know, this is the, I've glided through motorsport. I've been looking at golf. I can, do the interviews in tennis um and football has always sat there like the big beast that i want to tackle so that was a really positive start to the year um and something i would love to have continued doing with their with their you know international players you know the portuguese speaking players like bruno fernandes and so on um and otherwise i had some nice corporate work slotted in as well um with some car brands which i love to do um and, you know, that was it. I mean, I was looking forward to, to doing a football life for a while. And yeah. it's something that I still want to bring my focus back to now after I think we've all been in a kind of washing machine with what's going on and finding our balance again. And now I have in some ways with creating this women in sport concept. But um, as a career move, I would like to uh, be more included in football. Um, I have ambitious goals. I read a great quote the other day that I came across on Instagram about saying how it's not necessarily about the goal that you set yourself, but it's the fact that that goal kickstarts you into action. And it's all those actions that happen in between that are, that are making up that sort of satisfaction that you get from achieving the goal. Um, but my main goal would be to work at Sky Sports and work at Sky Sports News on the desk in that studio and be abreast of all the, all the current sports news, um, which wouldn't only be football because they cover everything. And that would really suit how I've been building my career up until this point where I haven't honed in to be the absolute watertight expert in one discipline. I've always kept myself open to absorb information about that one, this one. Keeping open has been, and keeping moving has been really the key for me. Um, and yeah, that's where I'd like to go. So. Uh, I have to plan ways to be better at becoming a great candidate for a job like that. And I'll have fun in the meantime doing so because it means, uh, you know, I'll keep, keep doing jobs and saying yes to events um, in the hopes of climbing more towards that space. Well, look, you, um, you certainly got our vote. I think that it's clear that you're very passionate about what you do and you're, you're driven. And um, I think, uh, it's also very handy to have a unique talent like the uh, the multiple languages because it just opens up so many doors. And um, we will do everything we can to help you achieve your ambition. Um, oh, one, thank you. We will try. <laughs> one final thing, I guess, before we go, and this is probably the most important, 
important question of the day. Um, what is your favorite type of dog? <laughs> is this really your question? I can't believe it. Okay. Well, I have to go with my family dog that we had growing up. Surely. I mean, it would be offensive to her if I didn't. It's an Irish terrier. Loud and clear. Irish terrier, which um, I think looks like a marmalade colored teddy bear. And that yeah. is my favorite dog. Interesting. I think we're, we're, we're carrying out a very sweeping and, and generalistic character profiling assessment of, of people that we talk to. And uh, I now know a lot more about you. The fact that you have Terrier ah! is your favorite dog. That says an awful lot about you. Um, wait, 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 hang on. Is this a bit like when you say, say to someone in LA what your star sign is and they go, hey, 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 oh my God, you're a Gemini. I know so much about you right now. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, it is, it is a bit like that. <laughs> but, but what I actually find fascinating and um, living out, you know, in the sort of sticks, as it were, and walking the dog all the time is that, you know, that thing they say about, um, you know, owners and looking like their pets and vice versa. Like, yeah. it's really true. And, and more, more, more so the looks, but the personality. And, in, you know, it's been said to me a few times that me and my dog are very alike. And I've started looking at other people's dogs and the way they behave and thinking, wow, do you know what? <laughs> you're, you're really very much like your dog. So now I know you're an Irish Terrier. I'm not going to get on the wrong side of you. Um, <laughs> And, and also, I'm probably going to be careful around a bar because the Irish know how to handle a drink as well. So, um, it's good information. Yeah. Well, we have a good bark, <laughs> but That's not true, much yeah. of a bite, so don't worry. <laughs> okay, well, look, well, thanks very much for taking the time out, and um, wow. I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Um, for anyone listening, do check out um, Immy's Instagram um, and, and check out the keep the ball rolling series it is a good watch and it's very candid which i think is really? what people are into now um and uh, um you know a bit like this really we're not terribly scripted and i think that's mm. that's what what's um what's kind of cool about it so um thank you Imi, very much and um maybe in the future we'll chat again and you can tell us what you're up to and um yes well, well thank well. you ollie i've loved it thanks for having me on really appreciate it and uh, thank you all for listening <laughs> okay thanks Amy. right so um later on this week uh, we've got a couple of other guests coming up no one as interesting as that i don't think so i'll have to see um what i do about that um but thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you soon <laughs>